Good morning, everybody. My name is R. Dallas Green. We welcome you to Grace. Glad you're here. Our church is really all about discipleship. And um, <clears throat> we, um, we have as a mission statement that we are here to be disciples and make disciples who live their lives and love like Jesus. You know, Jesus chose 12 people to be his disciples. And he chose them to be with him and then to send them out to preach. And he said to them, in the upper room, in John chapter 15, he said these words, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Then he said, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I obeyed my Father's commands. So Jesus obeyed completely his Father's command. And he said, These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Then he says in verse 12 of chapter 15 of John, he says, And my command is this, that you love each other as I have loved you. So the marching orders of the church are all about love. The command of God is to love. We will not be measured by how well we preach or how loud we sing or the size of the buildings we build. We, the command of God is to love. And then he says... Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus wanted his disciples to know what love is, that the love of God is unrelenting. The love of God cannot be extinguished. The love of God cannot be diminished. The love of God is always reaching, always pursuing. David knew something about the love of God. God loved David, but David sinned greatly against the Lord. But his sin did not diminish God's love for him. For he gave to him Bathsheba, and he gave to him another son whose name was Solomon, which means peace. And God loved Solomon and gave to him wisdom. Jesus said, greater love hath no one than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. The command of God is to love, and the greatest sacrifice is that which Jesus did upon the cross when he laid his life down. But he wanted them to know something very special. He said, and you are my friends if you do what I command. Imagine the king of heaven wanting to have a friendship with humanity, wanting to be friends with his disciples. No longer do I call you my servants, but I call you my friends because I'm about to tell you everything. I've told you everything that the Father I've learned from him. It seems as if the call of our culture is to tolerate one another. We are teaching our children about tolerance. Tolerance has to do with respecting someone's beliefs or values or lifestyles. In the military, we expect tolerance, tolerance of soldiers. Don't ask, don't tell about sexual um, orientation. In the government, we have rules and edicts about tolerance. So we are in a culture that seems to demand tolerance of us. But isn't it strange that in a very tolerant culture, there can be such intolerance. The Twitter CEO, whose name is Jack Dorsey, 
about um, a few months ago, went to a Chick-fil-A in California, and he spent $31 there. And he put on Twitter the fact that he's got a, a Chick-fil-A app that saved him 10%. So he saved $3 at Chick-fil-A. He was excoriated by the Twitter um, people by, because the fact that he went to Chick-fil-A, a restaurant owned by a guy named Kathy, who has said that gay marriage violates the biblical ethic of a man and a woman together. They said, how dare you eat at a Chick-fil-A during Gay Pride Month in January in California. In other words, this guy that would be part of a tolerant culture stepped across the line and he ate a chicken sandwich <clears throat> at Chick-fil-A. And he got attacked by his own people who became intolerant of him eating at Chick-fil-A. So I ask you the question, would you rather be tolerated or would you rather be loved? You see, love has to do with speaking the truth to somebody and showing compassion to them, right? This man was not feeling very loved by his Twitter followers. So what I want to speak to you this morning about is about love in the context of relationships from the book of Proverbs. So we open up Proverbs to chapter 13, verse 20, for the very first of these, which is the principle of proximity. Proverbs chapter 30, 13, verse 20 says these words. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. We know that we have a choice to make as to who we walk through life with. Right? We can choose to walk with wise people and become wise, or we can choose to walk with fools and suffer harm. If you walk with the wise, it doesn't require of you any effort. You don't have to write down any notes. You don't have to remember this for the test. You don't have to study for the test. You simply will become wise. Those that understand wisdom understand that wisdom is connected to my past, right? As to my experiences in my past. It's connected to the circumstances of my present. It's also connected to my future. The friends I choose have much to do with the quality of my life. The people I choose to walk with, the people I choose to hang out with. If I choose to walk with the wise, I become wise, it says. But if I choose to walk with the fools, hang out with the fools, you would expect what it would say is that if you walk with the fools, you'll become foolish. Instead, it says, those who walk the companion of fools will suffer harm. That is to say, if you surround your life with foolish people, if you do life with them that are foolish, if you spend time with fools, you're going to become foolish just as they are. When their life goes bad, something's going to happen to you. It's the principle of proximity. If I walk in proximity to someone else, when something happens in their life, it will also happen to my life. 
to which you say, I don't do what they do, right? The fools do what fools do, but I don't do what they do. Neuroscience is now teaching us that the longer I stay with, around somebody, the more my brainwaves line up with their brainwaves. <laughs> that is to say, if you want to have positive characteristics, you hang around with positive people. If you want to have more, more happiness and less stress in your life, choose people with traits that you find favorable. See, it's worse than simply becoming a fool. It's saying if I walk with foolish people, I get some of the shrapnel of their life. But you say, my kids don't do what their kids do. But if you hang out with foolish people, you'll begin to do what they do, and the consequences of their actions will spill over into your life. Now, that's not being judgmental. That's just exercising good judgment, right? So you want to be very selective about who your friends are. You see, if your friends aren't careful about their health, they won't be careful about your health. And if your friends aren't careful about their marriages, they really won't care about your marriage. And if your friends don't care about their finances, they won't care about your finances. And if your friends don't really care about their future, you're just living in this moment, they won't care about their future. You see, friends who don't take care of themselves will never be taking care of you. It's actually a challenge to us to consider the people we live in close proximity to. There was a fellow whose name was John Hoffman, whose story was picked up on 60 Minutes recently, from his little city called David City, Nebraska. He was a great athlete, but not a great student, and he earned a basketball scholarship to college. He flunked out of college in just one semester, and he went into the Navy where he served a tour of duty, when he spent a lot of time in the Navy drinking and drugging, and he came out of the Navy and went back to his little town in David City now in his, young, in his early 20s. A friend called to him and said, meet me at the bar. When he answered, he says, when he, when he answered the call and came to the bar, his friend said to him, do you want to rob a bank? Now, what would you do if your friend said to you, do you want to rob a bank? You'd say, sounds like a bad idea, right? He said, that sounds like a great idea. So what they did was they developed this plan. They didn't think they'd actually do it, but they decided that they would rob five banks in Nebraska, especially banks that had lots of money, where there weren't many police, where they wouldn't hurt anybody, just sit, sort of get the money and run. And they got away with their fifth robbery when the police put out a composite picture of him, and he was apprehended with $100,000 in his car. He served 11 years in prison, and in prison, he actually went to college and went to law school, and he wrote a, a letter to the Supreme Court concerning the Miranda Rule, and now he's a professor at Georgetown Law School. And the interviewer said to him, he's teaching criminal law, and he said to him, like, what about that person that stole from the bank? And he said, that person died a long time ago. He had died to his former sin. But I think it illustrates to us the point, right? That those who walk with the wise become wiser and wiser and wiser. But those who walk with fools, companion of fools, will suffer harm. Principle number two. 
the value of loyalty. Now, it says here in, in Proverbs 18.24 that a man of many companions may come to ruin. Now, it's true that no matter how many companions you have in life, that your life may move toward ruin. In fact, if you choose foolish friends, it may move faster toward ruin. So let's say my companions are my drinking buddies. And they say on the weekend, let's get a case of Natty Bose. Let's get wasted. And this becomes the pattern of my life. Even though I have drinking buddies, the inevitable consequences are going to happen in my life. If I spend too much, I will go into debt. If I eat too much, guess what happens? I gain weight. If I drink too much, guess what happens? I destroy my liver. It says a man of many companions may, if he is foolish, come to ruin. So let's say one of those companions has just inhaled or imbibed many of those natty bows and gets behind the wheel. You know, nobody ever driving drunk, seeing those drunk driving commercials, thinks it will be them that's behind the wheel when it happens. Debbie and I were downtown this, um, on Friday, and we saw two people that had been in happy hour a little too long. And I said to them, I said, would you like a ride home? And they said, a ride is coming. I said, good, you're not fit to drive. You see, all of us in life want to be accepted by somebody. We are sort of like this uh, magnet for acceptance. And some of the worst decisions we have ever regretted are people we've met, right? People that I have met that now I regret because we were foolish together. But it says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. My drinking buddies are only my buddies if I drink with them. They don't really care about my health. They don't care about your health either. You see, if I decided not to drink with them, they would no longer be my friends because they aren't my real friends. Here's what a real friend is. A real friend is someone who cares about you, someone who cares about your well-being, who's always got your back, who's always looking after you. You see, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This was written in a family-oriented culture where we'd expect that a brother would stick close to us. He would rise to our fence. But it says here there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend who's more loyal than flesh and blood. You know, David knew a friend whose name was Jonathan. Jonathan was his friend who was not his brother. You see, David had seven brothers, and three of them followed Saul off to war, but none of them were willing to fight. And when um, David fought, when David came, his older brother fought with him. But ch David chose not to fight with his older brother because there was a larger fight he was about to be part of. He was about to fight a giant. And when he fought against the giant, David did, when the battle was over, it says that the heart of David was knit to the heart of Jonathan. They made covenant with each other because they promised to look after each other and also to their descendants. 
You know, traditionally, medical schools have trained their students to help patients while they are living, giving them instruction in how to help the patient to live but not to face death. But now that is changing with end-of-life care. Physicians are now being taught that after they exhausted their medical expertise in care of a patient, they should seize the opportunity to do what? To stand beside the patient and to be their friend. To be a friend to the patient and a friend to the patient's family. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I don't know about you, but I have friends in the body of Christ that are closer to me than my earthly brother. They are not fair-weather friends. I call them my foul-weather friends. These are my friends who stand with me through thick and thin, that stand with me through the good and the bad, that stand with me through the highs and lows. You see, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is a friend who sticks with us, who cleaves to us, who stands with us. Friendship is one of the greatest gifts. And Jonathan was that friend to David. And when David was hiding in a cave because he had learned that Saul was coming after him to take his life, it was Jonathan that went out to David to strengthen his relationship with God. You see, a friend of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The book of Proverbs wants to teach us about what true friendship is, what a friend looks like. Not only to be that kind of friend, but also to look for that kind of friend. Then it says in chapter 17, verse 17, the principle of reliability. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You see, a friend says, if I'm going to be there, the friend shows up. If the friend says, I'm going to do it, the friend does it. You never have to worry whether your friend really loves you. Now, this is not to say that a friend has unlimited availability. A friend can say no. There are times when a friend has to be unavailable. But it is to say that a friend loves at all times. A friend is reliable. You know, one of the tests of friendship is when you're about to move, you'll find out who your real friends are. Some people will say we're coming, but your friends will show up and your good friends will move the couch or pack the boxes or unpack the boxes because they are your true friends. Your true friends, when you're overwhelmed, will step in. A true friend will see your car if he's in the car business and make sure your car is fixed. A true friend, if they're in the real estate business, will make sure you get a good house. They're in the loan business, make sure you get a good loan. You see, sooner or later, we're all going to face adversity. And a friend loves at all times, and a brother is made born for adversity. There will be times in your life you'll face adversity in your marriage or finances or your health. Sooner or later, you will hit adversity. Strong north winds will begin to blow, and acquaintances will disappear one by one, and companions will take their leave. But a true friend loves at all times. They are with you in the courtroom 
when you're standing trial. They are with you at the hospital when you're convalescing. They are your battle buddy. A soldier from Vietnam had taken enemy fire and he was with his battle buddy. And when he came to the clearing, he noticed that his battle buddy was not there. And so bravely he went back into enemy fire and he retrieved his friend and brought him back to the clearing. And his friend said, it wasn't worth it because your friend died. And he said, no, it was worth it because the last words from his lips were, I knew that you'd come for me. Over in Thailand, for several weeks, 12 boys and their coach waited in a cave. It was monsoon season. Millions of gallons of water had to be pumped out of this cave. 90 divers from all over the world came, including the Thai Navy SEALs. And one of them would perish in the rescue efforts. But the divers came and they led the 12 boys and their coach out of the cave. You see, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's what true friendship is. It's known by a sacrifice. A husband and wife, they, were, they had a relative and she suffered a stroke. And she couldn't get around and no longer remembered any names. And the wife said to the husband, you know, honey, we need to take her out to dinner. And the husband hesitated because he wondered whether they should or not since she couldn't remember names, couldn't remember events, and it would cost a lot of money. <laughs> and the wife said to him, she said, you know, we should because while we were with her, she will know that we love her. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's the principle of reliability. You can count on your friend. But now we turn, we talk about transparency. The principle of transparency. A friend will often confront you in order to help you. You see, you have to care enough about somebody to lovingly speak the truth to them. That's why Proverbs 27 verse 5 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. You have to lovingly speak the truth even when you'd rather gloss over a problem or ignore an issue. It's easier to remain silent when others are harming themselves, but it's not the loving thing to do. Most people have no one in their life who loves them enough to tell them the truth. Do you have anybody in your life who tells you the truth? Anybody who cuts the mustard straight? Anybody who tells, you, tell, tells it like it is? See, an honest answer is a sign of friendship. Sometimes this means lovingly confronting the other person who is sinning or is tempted to sin. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if someone of, in your group does something wrong, you who are spiritual should go to that person and help them become right again. In the end, people appreciate frankness over flattery. So if somebody rebukes you, one of the questions you want to ask yourself is, are they my friend? <laughs> and if they are my friend, do they have my best interest at heart? And if they have my best interest at heart, I need to give consideration to what they say. You see, friendship 
has another side. We are all flawed with blind spots. <laughs> no one can see their own destructive patterns. But a friend, if they're really your friend, will confront you or point out to you your sin. They won't wound you to harm you. They'll hurt you to help you. I see this in your character. This needs to change. This is a real problem. You need to grow up. Anybody said that to you recently? You need to grow up. Or you need to stop. Or you need to change that attitude of yours. You see, a doctor cuts out the cancer in our life because they love us, right? They take the knife to the cancer to remove the cancer. The dentist drills in our teeth <laughs> because they want to get at the cavity. If somebody really loves you, they'll speak the truth to you. Here's some loving rebukes that I have heard spoken to me. I'm, I'm surprised to hear you laugh at that joke. Here's one that I've seen said recently. I'm surprised to see the pictures you posted on Facebook. And here's one I've said. I'm surprised to see you wa to watch you flirt with that waitress. You see, if you really, really love somebody, you care about their well-being. You love them too much to let them continue in the pattern you are. There's a pattern of transparency. And then there's the principle here, the fifth one, of mutuality. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The imagery here is of becoming dull. Through much use, the axe blade becomes dull. You know, it takes more work to chop wood with a dull blade. It takes more work to shave your face with a dull razor. It takes more work to cut vegetables with a knife that doesn't cut. So here's what the remedy is. The dull blade must be sharpened. <laughs> this brings back an image in my mind, by the way, of being at the barber shop with that leather strap, kind of sharpening the blade. Dull blades need to be ejected and a sharper razor inserted. The dull blade of an axe must be sharpened. Just as the blade must be sharpened, so we need friends in our life, mutual friends, who will sharpen us. Sharpen us professionally. Sharpen us musically. Sharpen us intellectually. So a real friend comes alongside of us because they really want to sharpen us. Hey, if you're looking for someone to marry, you want to find someone who will sharpen you. And finally... The aspect of pleasantness, the benefit of true friendship is pleasantness. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9. Perfume and incense, incense bring joy to the heart, but the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. You know when someone is really your friend because what they're willing to do is to give you their best advice about the course forward. You see, they connect your past to the present and to your hopes and dreams of the future. They're always giving to you good counsel. So would you allow me this morning to be your friend? Would you let me be a friend to you and just say five suggestions to you 
about friendship, all right? If you want to pursue friends and be a good friend and you want to really steer your course well, let me say five things to you and be your friends, okay? So friend to friend, let's have a little chat. Number one, when it dawns on you that your core group, your people, your peeps, are moving in a direction with which you are uncomfortable, that should light up your conscience. We say, hey, we love the same food. We love the same music. We love being together. But the direction of this group of people begins to be somewhat troublesome. We're moving in a direction that's maybe the wrong direction. What I really need to do is I need to rethink my group of friends. They're moving in a direction that I don't really want to move in. And I'm moving in another direction along another path. You know, you can outgrow your group of friends. And you can say, it's time for a change. I'm open to some new friends because this is a new season of my life. I'm transitioning from what I have known to a new group of friends now. And I don't want to do what I used to do. I'm ready for a change. So my first suggestion to you is that when you see your friends moving in a direction with which you're uncomfortable, rethink that friendship. Secondly, when you catch yourself pretending to be somebody other than you are, by which I mean when you find yourself nodding, when you should be going, no. Or you find yourself going, no, when you should be saying yes, okay? That should be to you a red flag. When you begin to pretend to be somebody you're not, right? Somebody who has lots of money, or somebody who's older, or somebody who's younger. <laughs> so what's happening here is a person's be pretending to be something they are not. What's happening when you're pretending is you are lying to them and you are lying to yourself. And all relationships, the core of them is trust. You cannot pretend to be something you are not. Three, we're talking as friends now, right? When you feel pressure to compromise, what I'm saying there is, before this wasn't even an option, but now it's become to you a live option. This person's been after you for so long to do something, and you've always said no to them, but now you're beginning to entertain the thought of doing it, right? You're feeling the pressure now to compromise, to compromise your values. You begin to imagine what it'd be like to step into that sin. When you feel the pressure to compromise, you want to rethink that friendship. Now here's one, number four. When you catch yourself thinking, I'll go, but I won't participate. Now, I want to bring this one to absolute clarity to you, okay? I'll go, but I won't get involved with that, right? I won't participate. Let's suppose your 14-year-old daughter came home, and she said, Dad, I'd like to go to a party, and there's going to be 12 guys there. Now, my friend and I are going to go, but we're not going to do anything wrong. Would you let your daughter go? You're being pretty judgmental. I mean, why would you judge her like that, that you would 
tell her no. How can you dare say no to your 14-year-old daughter who wants to go to a party with 12 guys drinking a case of Natty Bose? Why would you ever say no to her? Because you love her and you want her to develop good judgment. If you go, I'm going with you, all right? There's going to be three guys there. The two guys, or the, there's going to be 13 guys there, the 12 guys and me. So what I'm trying to say to you is when you catch yourself thinking, I'm just going to go, but I'm not going to participate. And finally, when you hope the people you care about don't know about your whereabouts, that's when you want to rethink that friendship. Even if you don't want to do anything wrong or anything unlawful, if you have it in your mind that you're going to go there, but you don't want anybody to know you're there. You see, this violates the principle of transparency. See, the more transparent you are, the safer you are. The more people know about your whereabouts, the safer you are. I used to say to my kids, I used to say, you know what? If you are anywhere and you call for me, I will come. If it's local, I can be there in five minutes. If it's anywhere in the world, I can be there in 24 hours. You just call and I will come. And if you need an excuse, just say, my dad would kill me if I did that. What I'm trying to say to you is this. The friendships you have determine the quality and direction of your life. If you choose your friends poorly, it brings your life to ruin. But if you choose a friend who loves at all times, who sticks closer than a brother, who gives to you good counsel, who's willing to bring correction into your life, that friend will be to you a huge blessing. But you know what the greatest friend of all? His name is Jesus. There's a friend who's a friend to the friendless. There was a friend who loved you when you didn't have a friend, and his name was Jesus. We're going to sing about him now, what a friend we have in Jesus. It's an old-time hymn, but it speaks to the heart of what a true friend is, of the true friend that Jesus Christ is. Jesus wants to be your best friend. Jesus has an unrelenting love for you. The love of God will never be extinguished. The love of God will never be diminished because God loves you and he is your friend. Would you pray with me? Father, as we talk about friendship, perhaps we wish that someone was here who could hear this about what real friendship is. But for those who are here, there's marks and qualities of what true friends are. And we long to be these kinds of friends to each other. We long to reestablish friendships with people we've become disconnected with. There's seasons we pass through when we have a very close friendship and then it diminishes. But God, your love for us never diminishes because you are our greatest friend. You comfort us in our distresses. You hear our prayers. You strengthen us. You are our very best friend. So we worship you this day, Jesus, and we sing this song to you now. In your precious name we pray. Amen.